The Inside Ellen Road podcast is sponsored by PR Supplies at Unit 2 Wither Park Industrial Estate Leeds, postcode LS53AP. Check out PR Supplies on Facebook for all your home retail needs. Hello, welcome back to the Inside Elland Road podcast. Um, they won. Leeds United won a game of football away from home, just the second time that's happened in the Premier League this season. Uh, and what a win it turned out to be. Red cards, VAR controversy, four goals for Leeds, four different scorers, and Luke Ayling whipping out the Robbie Keane celebration of sorts for a second year in a row. Um, Graham, how did you find uh, the weekend's offering at Molyneux? It was incredible, wasn't it? 18th of March, again, same date, same venue, same two teens, same three goal scorers for Leeds. A red card for Wolves, or two rather, should have been three. Um, actually, probably should have only have been two, really. Nunez probably shouldn't have been sent off. But it's just an unbelievable game, just even better than the one last season, which was wild in itself. You know, that great comeback. This time, Wolves almost made the comeback. Um, very, very enjoyable for many reasons. Is it is a comeback from two nil down better or going three two up, uh, going three nil up away from home after the the way that the season has gone? Did that feel better? No, this felt better because wins have been so sparse. Because, like you said, they'd only won previously once in the Premier League away from home this season. They've just not won very many games at all. Um, I mean, how many had they won? They'd won four games in the Premier League this season prior to Javi Garcia arriving. And then I have six. Um, scoring four goals away from home. You know, he talked about he, he wasn't very happy about the way they attacked against Brighton. And then they go out and they put on their most clinical performance of the season, really. You know, four shots on target, four goals. Um, really scored with their biggest moments of danger. There weren't many chances that were spurned. Um, so... You know, I think this one was more impressive. Um, the manner of it, you know, holding on. Ideally, when you go 3-0 up, you don't want to concede two goals. Um, but not only holding on to the one-goal lead, but then taking advantage of, of Wolves stopping uh, and scoring a lovely fourth. Um, felt a bit like an exclamation mark, and it just felt like a, a big win. Mm. It did feel, it felt very consequential. Um, you could see that in the celebrations at full time. Um, I, I also noticed that when Rodrigo's goal went in, in the 97th minute or whatever it was, no one was making a beeline for, for the celebrations on the other side of the uh, of the pitch like uh, Noan Kenner did last season. Um, clearly the uh, yellow card has acted as a deterrent there. Um, I mean, just in general, I mean, the, the game was... I, I discussed this in sort of my immediate post-match video that, that we did on, on Facebook and, and Daily Motion afterwards. But, you know, it was just such a crazy fixture that it feels as though it can be that gal- galvanising or can have that galvanising effect that, that Leeds fans really want it to have. Because, as you say, wins have been so sparse this season. Um, and to do it in that manner, to have scored... I mean, if you just want to look at the standout statistics, scored six goals in the last two games against... You know Brighton, who aren't exactly bad defensively, and and then Wolves on their own patch. It's never never optimal to concede four goals at home. 
Um, and then, you know, they're looking at seven points from from four games under Javi Gracia. Um, and then you factor in the, the Fulham FA Cup performance where you concede two worldies. And apart from that, it was a very even, if not Leeds edging that game. Um, you have to say that there is reason for for positivity. They've they've looked a little bit more in this sort of, I don't know, this little petri dish of of games. They have looked a little bit more like a mid-table team than one which is disorganised and heading for the exit door. Why on earth would you say petri dish? Like some sort of bacteria is being grown by having a experiment. It wasn't uh, just because it was the only thing which I could think of in that re- in in that moment. Just and see Javi, Javi opening up a a big brown leather satchel at Thorpe Arch and taking out a pestle and mortar and a retort stand and uh, a Newton meter. He's um, a, he's a good height to wear a lab coat, isn't he? Yeah. Um, do you know when we were at school, we used to play dent the back wall with the retort stand and throw it like a javelin to see like, who could embed it furthest in the like the, the plaster. We also used I don't to know hang what any of that is. We used to hang a Newton meter as well on our physics teacher's lab coat pocket as he walked past, and then you could see if you could try and add a weight to it as he as he walked past, so he didn't notice. Uh, Are these contraptions <laughs> that were used in all twentieth century schools? <laughs> um, yeah, and for a, and for a mad scientist, you know, he is incredibly composed. Now, I will caveat that with at halftime on Saturday. He went back down the tunnel screaming. Um, he was very angry about the amount of added time that was played in the first half. I think he was annoyed about some of the decisions that had happened. And he, as he was going back down the tunnel, he was kind of screaming into the void. He wasn't really directing at anyone, just he was screaming. But when when all hell broke loose in the second half, and granted Lopetegui had more reason to be angry, what I was impressed with was Gracia getting everyone back in the bench and telling them to be quiet and making sure that everyone stayed put and that it was Wolves who lost their head and it was Wolves that were haranguing the officials and then ultimately Wolves that picked up a, a red card for an unused substitute. Um, I wonder if that's a record, you know, that in consecutive games or, or in, a, in a fixture that's been played twice, there's been two a pair of cards for unused substitutes who didn't play a single minute. No one can get in the yellow last season, and then uh, Matthias Nunez get in the red. Um, Leeds kept their cool. You know, Leeds didn't lose the rag. Um, perhaps Wolves had more reason to, but I just felt like, even though it was difficult, and even though they could easily have conceded a third at three-two, I felt like there was an element of pragmatism to Leeds. You know, they went to five at the back. Um, Gracia was looking to shore things up defensively and they were looking to hit them on the break he brought on Somerville who used the ball brilliantly you know he he chose when to when to pass it really really well um, he used width to stretch the play and create space inside for Rodrigo he linked up with Rodrigo really well Gracia brought Christensen on who scored almost immediately which was remarkable in itself Um he brought Rodrigo on, who scored a fourth. You know the substitutes really worked, and it, and it felt like felt like Garcia was the the protagonist because he was making changes that that ultimately affected the game. And I felt like he had more control and was definitely more in control of himself than his opposite number. 
he brought Pascal on for Junior Firpo as well um, at a time when it was quite important that that happened because Firpo was on a yellow. Adama Traore was fresh legs, and you know we all know what he's capable of, even if his end product isn't isn't all that. Um, and he was carrying a threat. Wolves were, were looking to to ping the ball out, out wide to him at every at every opportunity. So to bring Strauch on, who was able to to maybe go shoulder to shoulder with him a little bit better, who was obviously fresher, wasn't on a booking. Um, I do think I think he got his sub spot on, as you say, yeah. Yeah, Firpo had a really hard time with Adama Traore in the last fixture at Molyneux as well. And it was really worrying seeing him, seeing the amount of space, firstly, that um, Traore had. But Firpo couldn't get tight because, you know, one tug on the shirt and he's off. And then Leeds, you know, it would be 10 against 10. Um, and Wolves had the momentum at that point. You know, Leeds get a player sent off right then. I don't think they win that game 4 2. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was a really good uh, tactical substitution. Stroik did quite well, didn't he, against yeah. the big man? Um, I mean, Stroik's—he's no midget himself, um, so he could, like you said, go shoulder to shoulder with Traore, and Traore wasn't as effective after that. Uh, and Leeds defended him quite well. Um, I thought they did, given that Wolves did have quite a few chances. It may be an odd thing to say, but I felt quite good about Leeds defending. You know, I thought the centre backs defended pretty well they were physical and strong and there weren't a couple of important blocks yeah lots of important blocks there weren't too many shaky moments fullback areas were really where the struggle was defensively i thought throughout the game i mean look ailing had a really difficult first half furpo had his really wobbly spell in the second half um but ultimately ailing recovered you know he scored an important goal again at molyneux um and and Firpo was all right in the first half, wasn't he? It was the second half when he he struggled. And then Stroik came on um, and Christensen came on and they were definitely stronger for it. So um... just thinking tactically as well, you know, Gracia, I think when it went 3-0 or was it, it might have been at 2-0 just before Christensen scored, he decided to bring on Christensen and go to that, that 5-3-2 and then that became a 5-4-1 at the back. Um, it, it seemed proactive rather than reactive. In terms of okay, we're two nil up, and then obviously three nil up. Let's protect what we've got. It's it's a it's a lead which we shouldn't be be surrendering. And obviously they do go on to concede two goals, but the manner in which they concede the first one is is very obscure. You know, Melier's diving Superman header out of his box. Is it necessary? Mm, sort of. It's Mark Rocker that I have the issue with because he just played a pass to, to absolutely nobody. And then you can't really legislate for for Johnny taking that first time on the half volley and lobbing, you know, Melier. I think it's one of the the, the the goals. I think it is the goal that has been scored from the furthest out or the furthest distance in the Premier League in the past couple of seasons. So, you know, you can't legislate for that. And the momentum swing was obviously massive. The I'd say the only thing that I had real issue with in terms of the defending on Saturday was no one getting out to Mateus Cunha uh, on the edge of the box before he scores, because if they do, then there's the, the there's less likelihood that the ball comes all the way through and then takes a nick off Verba's heel and ends up in the back of the net. So, um, yeah, I think tactically they they got it spot on. They were a lot more compact. Um, I think some of the players have, have even reflected in in saying that 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 is one of the more noticeable changes since Gracia has arrived, and they do just. They do just appear a bit more resolute. It's no longer, you know, your individuals like Robin Cock having a good game, but still conceding three. 
it was a case of the entire defensive structure was a lot more joined up. Um, and that has to give you a little bit of encouragement um, going into the, these next 10, 11 games. Yeah, the two goals they conceded, like one was, again, like Fulham, an absolute worldie of a finish. There were things you can pick at in the lead up to it. Like Ailing had a, an immediate inquest into that goal with Melier and was clearly saying, just catch the ball in your in your area. You look back at it and you think the ball probably is going to reach Melier in his hands before the striker gets there. But just perhaps in the moment, he thought, I, I'm not going to take any risks. Now, if Rocker, if he helps that ball on into the Wolves' half or just plays it downfield or plays it out of, out of, out of play, there's not a problem there with any of that. But he takes a really poor touch and then Johnny just pounces on it with a sensational finish. Um, and like you said, you can't really legislate for that finish. And the second one's a deflection, isn't it? You know, and, and whilst there were other chances Wolves had, you know, Melier made a couple of big saves. Um, if, if the two goals you can see come in that manner, then you can't really be too mad at the defence, can you? Yeah. Um, and you scored four goals away from home as well, and you, you picked up three points, um, and you kept your cool when all hell was breaking loose. So I think the biggest thing is the mentality of we are now 14th rather than we are second bottom. We are absolutely in the mire here um, because if they'd lost that game, then they end the day in the relegation zone and people are thinking, where on earth are the wins coming from? Hmm. But you win the game against an opponent so much further up the table than you and suddenly you're right on them with the game in hand and you're 14th. I mean, 14th. The Premier League table is ridiculous this season. It is it's an utter shambles of a division when you've got um, so many teams who could be relegated, and such a gap then between the relegation battle and mid-table comfort, and then again such a gap or gaps that open up further up the table. Um, it's almost like there's four competitions, five competitions going on all at once in the Premier League. Um, but the more the merrier from Leeds' perspective, you know, the more teams there are that could go down and, and could suffer little blips and, and runs that are going to leave them in it, the better, because all you've got to do is finish higher than three teams and and then you can move on and start to rebuild and maybe change the project slightly or or change the vision or, or whatever it is. But the aim of the game for Javi Garcia is just to get those precious wins, and he's got two of them already. Uh, when Jesse Marsh only had four, you know, in his months in charge this season, so I think they come away from Molyneux with a lot of credit. I think fans, if they saw a win, they were going to come away very happy. They saw four goals, so um, I think everyone was was uh, cock a hoop. Um, I have to mention the the time wasting supporter though. Um, oh yeah, so, very very good. Not so yeah. much for his. Time waste and the square ball have done a very good uh, interview with him. Um, Rob Conlon, I think it was, did the piece. Um, not so much the fact that he just picked up the ball and dropped it his side of the the hoardings, but the hands up kind of the oh, I'm innocent, like not you know, not going near it. That was absolutely superb. Just, <laughs> just exactly what was required at that exact moment. <laughs> just very, uh... very very never, funny. Never I touched it, ref. Never touched it, ref. Fantastic. Um, um, and we, I think you have to mention Wolves. Wolves fans didn't like 
Leeds time wasting and Wolves players didn't like Leeds time wasting. Now, if we've criticised other teams this season for time wasting, we should probably criticise Leeds for time wasting and say, you know, it's it's pretty cynical doing it in the first half and it's anti-football because we've said that previously. Leeds themselves, Angus Kinnear, you know, in his programme notes, have kind of lashed out at, at time wasting. But if you're a Wolves fan, can you really be that upset with time wasting when some of the antics from Wolves in previous games have have been incredible to watch? I mean, you talk about the dark arts. They have been masters at it. It just feels a little bit rich. Maybe it just feel, Maybe this is where we should land on it, that nobody really has any right to complain about time wasting. Because, because everybody does it. Because everyone does it, you know, at at Newcastle, Leeds were very guilty of it. Um, you had that fantastic moment where there were two balls on the pitch and the Newcastle player went to retrieve one from Matthias Click and Tyler Adams drilled the spare ball at the other ball and knocked them both away from the Newcastle player. <laughs> it was just so childish, but very, very funny. Um, but there have been times when teams have come to Elland Road and really frustrated the stadium. And it's been a marsh, you know, identified it as a thing that teams do. The playbook is to come and to frustrate. And you're playing against an intense team. So you, you slow everything down. You stop them getting into a rhythm. But everyone does it, don't they? Just everyone does. Maybe what we should do is resolve that we should play all the minutes of football. So let's have 13, 14, 15 minutes added on at the end of a game until it stops but also maybe we should just not react to it anymore and um and just all be a little less hysterical there should have definitely been a lot less hysteria at molyneux on on saturday than there was oh but hysteria makes the world go around doesn't it it's just it's fantastic <laughs> it and i do think we, we all want to see yeah scenes that nobody slash everybody wants to see i think one, one person that we do have to 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 thank maybe um, or we haven't mentioned for the for the result on Saturday is Johnny Otto. Now that might be a bit of, odd considering that he did score Wolves opener, uh, rather Wolves first goal, and then um, get the the momentum swing. But his tackle on Luke Ayling was, I mean, the clearest red card I think I've seen this season. Um, shin high over the ball, studs into a planted leg. It's just clear as day. Um, rightly sent off, but also. Johnny was at fault for the first goal for Leeds um, because it is Johnny who loses Jack Harrison. He peels off him um, and, and finds himself on the penalty spot unmarked before he sweeps in uh, Willie Nyonto's cross. And then, as well, for the third goal, Rasmus Christensen, um, he, he's, he, he's the one who robs Johnny inside the walls of penalty area and just kind of shrugs him off. Seems as though he kind of he, he's waiting to, to be given... He's waiting for the referee's whistle, very much like Adama Traore for the fourth goal. Um, and it doesn't come, and, and Christensen drills it under Jose Sarr. Um, yeah, so Johnny Otto really did contribute to uh, to proceedings on, on Saturday, uh, to say the least. Yeah, thanks very much, Johnny. I don't like it so much when, he, when people call him Johnny Otto. I prefer it when he's just like Johnny, your mate from Six Aside. Um, Six, so would, you, would that be you making references to Six Aside? Oh no, we don't. We don't want to get into talking about. Oh, I think I think you you brought it up, so I think Graham, we should probably give it some airtime. What were this, you up to last this, night? This this podcast it can't be a vehicle, Joe, for me to talk about my nutmeg assists in in six aside. I don't think that now is the time or the place for me to talk about 
putting the ball through a defender's leg to play a through ball for a striker who then scored the third goal in a 3-1 win. Um, comfortable 3-1 win. I, I don't think now is the, the time or the place to talk about that. Maybe another time. Okay, well, if, if you insist on, on that then. Um, we can talk about um, your your question. In fact, a couple of your comments at Molyneux on Saturday. Um, just before uh, Mark Rocker swung in the ball for Luke Aileen's back post header, just after half time, what was it that you said to me um, with, with your infinite wisdom? I might have made a remark that set pieces haven't been great. <laughs> mm. there, there was that, yeah. And and for, for those who might be thinking that I'm, I'm embellishing that ever so slightly, it was as the ball was in the air that Graham <laughs> said that. Um, so li- literally the next touch of the ball was Aileen heading in from a corner. So I mean, the Wolves marking for that goal was... Generally, what was Nelson Tomato doing? Yeah, generally atrocious. If 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 a man is that free at the back post and that close to goal as well, uh, credit to Ailing for the movement and uh, Rocker for the delivery, I guess. But um, I, I do have a general bugbear with lead set pieces this season in that they have some really really good ball strikers in the team. Jack Harrison strikes the ball beautifully on occasion. Rodrigo obviously hits the ball very, very hard and very sweetly indeed. Um, Mark Rocker can strike a football very, very nicely. Vober can obviously hit one very, very hard. Um, but they just don't score from free kicks, do they? You know, they just don't They don't curl a free kick into the top corner from 30 yards. Um, it, feels like a, it feels like a weapon that was lost when both Rafinha and Calvin Phillips left because... Calvin had a free kick in his locker. Um, good luck getting on one at his current club, 25 yards from goal with the with the array of talent they have. But Rafinha was dangerous as well from free kicks. Um, he could get a ball up and down with a lot of pace on it. I really like free kick goals. I really like them. And it feels like Leeds don't score them. And, and I also feel like they don't score enough from set pieces. I feel like they have very capable players in the air. Um, So I will stand by my comment, albeit ill-timed as it was, that I feel like they could definitely score more goals from set pieces. I mean, you have... Do you know why I'm grinning, Graham? Why are you grinning? Because I've got the statistics up here for how many set-piece goals have been scored by every Premier League team this season. Oh, for God's sake. Well, I... (laughs) Do you, do you want to take a guess at how many set piece goals Leeds have scored? Uh, five, eight. It's eight. Where does that put them in the table? It puts them comfortably mid table. In fact, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. They're ninth for set piece goals. And for me, that's just not acceptable. Just not uh, good enough. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd hate to. I'd hate to get your verdict on what being fourteenth is. is. Oh this, wait, we already have it in this podcast, and you're you're glowing in your praise for for being. Is 14th. this podcast going to become the kind of podcast where you insist on using statistics and facts in the face of feelings and never let facts get in the way of a good story. Um, in the way of a good, a good notion. you gave me. Yeah, that's. Um, I mean, eight set piece goals is not bad. And also, if we're going to use even more statistics, leads are even higher in the table um, for their their expected goals from set plays. They've just they've had over just over ten xg uh, from set plays this season, which means that they're actually underperforming. Um, So their their set plays are actually even better than their eight goals suggest. 
So like so, I said, they're unper- underperforming when it comes to set pieces. I think we've both arrived at the same place, just roundabout ways. One mountain, many paths, Joe. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just... Um, maybe I have an appetite for set-piece goals that just hasn't been met this season, specifically free kicks, and I've allowed that to cloud my judgment on, on corners as well. Um one okay, well, one mountain, many paths. Just to get away from this discussion, which you've clearly been bested in, um, <laughs> I, your your expression there has, has brought me back to a, to an instant after the game at Molyneux, which um, you found quite hilarious at the time that we managed to get trapped inside a park in Wolverhampton and had to call Wolverhampton City Council's emergency number to be directed to the right place to be let out. You would still be in that park, were it not for my fatherly wisdom. In no, I wouldn't. I would have climbed no, over the fence. You, you would not have thought. You'd have got your foot caught on a spike. You would not yeah, have yeah. thought uh, to ring the out of hours of Wolverhampton's uh, whatever Metropolitan Council. Yeah, we we were unfortunate there. We had been delayed by Lopetegui's, um lengthy meeting with the officials that delayed his arrival for the press conference. I mean, it must have been an hour after the game when he finally rocked up. And still by that point, nobody had obviously shown him Johnny's tackle um, and how bad it was because he was he was still talking it, talking it down, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, he was still an angry man. Talking about writing a book about the decisions they've had against them this season uh, that they should have had for them. Um, and then we took a what would have been a shortcut, which would have saved us maybe three minutes. Instead of walking all the way around the park, West Park, we decided to walk through the park, cut through, save three minutes, cost ourselves a good half an hour <laughs> because mm-hmm. by the time we got to the far side, the gate had been shut and then the next gate was shut and the next gate was shut. Uh, and it, it, there, was a, there was a moment when I thought that we would have to sleep in the bandstand uh, and it would be a terrific story to tell on the podcast. As it was, it's a relatively underwhelming story to tell on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, I was I was intent on climbing over, but I was obviously accompanied by two gentlemen who were who were older colleagues of mine. I didn't want to to suggest that for um, you know to put undue pressure on on the pair of you. Um, but no, no, it's uh, we, we managed to get out in the end. The following day then, if Saturday's action wasn't enough excitement for you, the uh, 21s were at home at Ellen Road against Sunderland um, and they managed to, to get a, a win on the board as well, really extend their lead at the point uh, at the top of the table to, to three points again um, with only three games remaining. Uh, Matteo Joseph getting two goals and Sonny Perkins uh, scoring as well in, in a 3-1 win. Um Graham, you're quite keen for, for us to discuss Charlie Allen, who picked up two assists uh, in, in that game and was a real, real threat, particularly late on, um, where his, his superior stamina really tortured the uh, the Sunderland left-back. But he has been putting together some some really good performances of late, uh, has, has Charlie Allen. Um, and, I mean, I think it's still probably a bit premature to be thinking about him being in the, in the, in the discussion for, for first-team minutes um, because I think there are still some some drawbacks uh, that that would maybe make him look a little bit out of his depth, but um, he's certainly playing uh, to a good level and, and certainly good enough to to play for for Northern Ireland. I think. 
given that <laughs> there probably aren't many better options. Are there, I Graham? didn't I didn't see that coming until right at the last minute when it was well, too late. Was there a selector at your six aside last night by any chance? Just, uh... just because they're absolutely desperate. <laughs> uh, um, can an Englishman really gloat when they've had to when they've had to pinch Matteo Joseph? Um, it's, just, it's just incorrect, though, isn't it? Charlie Allen is a an interesting one because in in Irish football in the in the in the Irish Premier League he played at like fifteen for Linfield he was really 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 young um, so he already had a little bit of a profile before he came over to Leeds and obviously any youngster moving to a Premier League club from um, from a club in Northern Ireland. Uh, is going to be big news in Northern Ireland. And so it, it was with Charlie Allen, but particularly because, you know, David Healy had talked him up quite a lot. David Healy had played him as a very, very young teenager in senior competition. Um, and he and he picked up an assist on his debut, I think. he He's come to Leeds and he's, he's really been under the radar. There are some of the 21s that I think do fly under the radar and operate under the radar. It's more the ones that, Really, it's the goal scorers, isn't it? That, or, or maybe like a Pascal Stroik, um, who's come from a very, very, very good academy and was already had more of a profile really when he arrived than than some other twenty ones. But you think of players like Jeremiah Mullen, um, who I think fly under the radar, and maybe that's a good thing. You know, maybe maybe it is a good thing that they they don't kind of get that that profile to begin with, or don't have people talking them up or demanding to see them in first team action. But it feels like. Charlie Allen has kicked on a little bit this season. Um, got a new contract in the summer, didn't he? And uh, and then of late, he's just been popping up with assists. He's got a goal or two, hasn't he? And um, I just thought his his play um, for the goals that he contributed to against someone was just intelligent play. Um, but what what actually is he? Because he's he's played in a variety of roles for the the twenty ones as. As you have to, you know, with players moving up to the seniors and leaving you light. Um, where do you see him playing? Is he like a? Is he like an inside right? Is he a winger? What is he? I mean, he's played as a number ten. I think he arrived as a ten. Um, but I think if you were to play him there in senior football, he'd probably end up getting a lot of the Brendan Aronson treatment. Um, he's played left wing. He's played right wing. He's played left back. Um, only fleetingly though. But I, I, I think he's probably best as a winger. Um, just the way that he's able to skip through challenges, he's he's got that ability to 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 pick passes in the inside, very much like a like um, what Crescencio Somerville was like when he first came into the twenty ones, more of an inside forward rather than a get to the byline and cross type of winger. Um, he has put together some really good performances. I mean, there was the the game at York against Derby. I think it was last month or maybe at the beginning of this month. Um, he was good in that. Um, you know, he's been good in the Papa John's games this season. And I can't really think off the top of my head of a game where he's been, you know, subpar. Um, he's been consistently at least a 7 out of 10 every week. Um, and I suppose it's just unfortunate for him that Leeds do have quite as many good attacking options at the moment. But as you say, he got a new contract next season. Fingers crossed they'll be playing in the top division of PL2 again. Um and you'd imagine that he'll be a, a you know a, a central figure to that team um, if if a loan move isn't isn't sorted for him. So I think there's 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 enough to say that you know he's he's on the right tracks for for definite. Yeah, I think I can I concur with what you said about Somerville. I, I watched quite a lot of Somerville this week, 
um, just to see if there was any differences between his early performances and what he did at Wolves. But actually, he's he's always been that player that he, he looks after the ball first and foremost, Somerville, or he tries to. There's no real kind of optimistic or spurious attempts at dribbles, you know, where he where he gives away the ball poorly. Um, at least not not many that I've noticed. And and what he what he looks for is passes inside, and then he looks to, he looks to come inside and get involved as well. And he really gets involved with link up play. Um, so he is a very different type of winger to like a um, a Jack Harrison who'll probably try and take on his man, um, try and use his quick feet to get away, hugs the touchline a lot. Um, I know Harrison does come inside as well, but I think Somerville is is just a different type. Um, but it will be interesting to see where Charlie Allen goes from here in terms of leads, in terms of getting getting into senior football. Um, you would say that there's a few of the 21s for whom it's less easy to see the route to senior football at present than it is for others. Um, but they've done really well, haven't they, this season? Because they have had a lot of the players that, that they might have been able to use, players who are eligible for the 21s, they've not had their services all season or they've had them you know for for fits and starts so um so while there's still players with a lot of big potential in there and some first team experience um it is largely a young squad and they still look a very good bet for promotion there was also a, a quite a, a comical maybe you would have put it in your uh, your off camera moments um if you were doing the 21s games but you can't be bothered most of the time um <laughs> So you would have put you would have put this in uh, Archie Gray's younger brother who plays for for um, Leeds' 16s I think this season. Um, there was an incident where he was heading back across to um, to sort of the, the the posh seats in the West West Stand for the 21s game, uh, accompanied by his parents, obviously ex Leeds United striker Andy Gray being being his dad. Um, and there was sort of as he was making his way across, Stewart kind of shouted as if to say, "Oi, where do you think you're going?" And he sort of like pointed across, and Andy Gray was there, and Stewart was like, "Oh right, okay, yeah, no, I'm, I've got this one wrong." Um, so good to see that even at the Twenty Ones games, um, that the that the security and the stewarding is is really really on point. Nothing gets past them uh, at Allen Road. Good uh, good time of uh, for the Gray family over the last week or so with uh, young Archie getting his his pro deal at the age of seventeen. Just. Uh, it never felt like anything else was ever going to happen. You know, whilst Archie Gray has been watched by and will continue to be watched by the biggest academies in the country and top six teams, um, probably European teams as well, he was never going to do anything other than sign a pro deal for Leeds um, because his family, I think it's very much a, a case of keeping his feet on the floor, but also staying at home you know this is their home club this is their the family's club and um it just makes a lot of sense particularly with his brother being there as well um but from from what you hear it doesn't sound like it's much of a task to keep his feet on the ground it sounds like he just lets all the kind of talk and the narrative and the hype just exist around him without ever really um being impacted by it or affected by it but uh, but it was good to see that one nailed down and 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 uh, the I's dotted and the T's crossed. Um, it would be nice to see him at some point this season in a senior game for a few mm. minutes, just to see him return to that kind of verge 
of senior football that he was he was on. I know he's been on the bench lately, um, but we started this season with an expectation that he was going to play at some point because he was that close. Um, Jesse Marsh had him, you know, it was really part of the first team squad. He went to Australia um, where he played and then he got that ankle knock um, and then he had the, the foot or the, the toe injury. There was a bit of illness towards the start of the season as well. So it just feels like a season has been disrupted quite a lot, but it would be nice to see him um, make an appearance preferably in a game that, that is being won. Because I was thinking about this earlier in the week, about how a lot of the young players at Leeds have not really had the best environment or conditions to shine in competitive terms because they've been brought on in games that Leeds were losing, generally, um, where they were being brought on as a, please try and go and get us something. You know, Perkins, Joseph have been in that situation um, Gelhart was often in that situation as well. It was it was chuck him on with ten minutes to go and see if he can try and rescue something, which is not really. Um, I mean, yes, it's an opportunity to shine and an opportunity to go and be a hero, like Gelhart was on a couple of occasions last season. But I just feel like if they were going into a more relaxed situation, like leads two three goals up, um, which hasn't happened often. Obviously, it happened on Saturday and, and didn't last very long. But that would be an optimal situation for Archie Gray to come on and, and get a senior bar. You know, if Leeds were a couple of goals to good and he could get on the ball with a, a lot less pressure and stress and just ease himself into action. Yeah, well, I'm looking at sort of that last game of the season at home at Ellen Road against Spurs. So if, if Leeds are able to get a couple of wins on the board and have pulled themselves clear of, of relegation trouble by that point um, before the final day, um, I think that's probably the best opportunity that he's going to get because otherwise, you know, you have to think that the vast majority of the other games are going to be in the balance. Um, and I saw a couple of people asking, why has he only been given a two and a half year deal? Um, well, the reason for that is because um, players under the age of 18 are only allowed to sign three-year contracts as a maximum. Uh, and because Archie has just turned 17 now, he wouldn't be able to sign a three and a half year deal, which would take him through to, to 2026 or the summer of 2026. So he's only able to sign a two and a half year deal because you know, no one's going to contract him until sort of halfway through the season. So essentially the two and a half year contract is the maximum that, that Leeds have, uh, were allowed to give him. Um, and yeah, as you say, I don't think that will have been a difficult conversation. So the international break then, um, we've got the next 10 days or so before Arsenal on the 1st of April. Um, 16 Leeds players I counted who are away with their their countries and, and youth internationals. Um, lots of games to, to be across. Um, Jeremiah Mullins with Scotland's under-21s for the first time. Um, you've got Diogo, Mon or Diogo Montero with Portugal's 18s. Perkins and JB, England 19. DeBeo, James DeBeo, England 18. Archie Gray, England 17. Um, Matteo Joseph uh, getting his first international call-up, not for Spain, but for England, um, for the under-20s. That was uh, that was a big, big story last week. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the likes of Max Verber for Austria, Liam Cooper, called up for Scotland. Um, Willie Nyonto will play England in Naples this Thursday um, for, for Italy. There's, there's plenty of uh, plenty of Leeds United involvement, um, even if, you know, the likes of Robin Koch aren't with the Germany squad, as some people might have might have disagreed with. Yeah, he, he just hasn't got back in, has he, uh, mm. for Germany? And, and obviously there has been this noise about him 
you know, where he could be next season, which doesn't come from nowhere. Uh, I'm not suggesting for one second that it comes from the player, but stories like that don't generally just materialize from nothing, um, especially when they're so specific about where they might like to move to and for what reason they might like a move. And in that case, it was it was cited, wasn't it, that it was um, national team uh, ambition that would be fueling any desire to leave Leeds. Um, I think he's also said himself. He's also said in, in a recent interview yeah, yeah. That, that he that is his primary goal is to is to get back into the national team fold, which is is completely fair. Yeah, um, I think there will be an element of that um, over the next few weeks for Leeds, particularly if they find themselves sucked back into the bottom three at some point. I think you'll hear more about. Um, players that could be lost uh, if they go down um, because there are plainly players in that squad who whose career trajectory is simply not for the championship you know it's not really set for a a year out um, waiting for Leeds to get back into the prem um, and so you probably will hear some noise that will come from somewhere about clubs that might like to take certain players should Leeds go down. Um, and, and Robin Cox, obviously one of the first where the, the, there's actually been that noise. Um, but you look at someone like Melier, you know, yes, he's had some difficult moments this season, but I think he's still been a very solid goalkeeper uh, in the Premier League. And um, and he's a kind of a young rising star who probably needs to play top flight football. Well, he definitely needs to play top flight football. He's got any chance of breaking into the France squad because it seems at the minute like he's behind quite a lot of players. Um, you know, Brees Samba was called up, wasn't he, this time? Um, who's 27, 28, never been capped. Um, trained with the Belgium squad at one point, but he's never, never been capped at senior level. And he's been called up as the what looks like the third option, uh, for France. Um, and there are others as well that are of such a high profile or a high caliber that a year in the championship might not suit. Um, so it would be, it would be very, very interesting. And, uh, interesting in a bad way, I think, if Leeds were to suffer relegation just because of the sheer uh, loss that there might be in terms of personnel. Um, but this international break, you know, this could have been an even busier one for Leeds players away. And it's almost a blessing, certainly from a team point of view and a club point of view, that it's not as busy as it could have been because Robin could have been in the Germany squad. Mark Rocker might have found himself in the Spain squad, you know, there has been a lot of talk about that, but he's not quite made it this time. And you want from a, from a very, from a very selfish club point of view, you want as many players working with Javi Garcia. Um, I imagine they'll give them a few days off, but once he starts working again at Thorpe Arch, you want as many as your first team players as possible to be working on those match plans for the next few games and to be working on the tactical tweaks that he wants to make and really honing in on the ideas that he's already seeded with the team. Um, so Rocker staying back, probably a boost from a club point of view. Um, Rodrigo doesn't look like he's going to get back into the Spain setup, you know, despite the season that he's had of finishing in the Premier League, you know, the terms of, in terms of pure goal scoring, there can't be many Spaniards who are, who are um, performing quite as efficiently as he is in, in front of net, but also he's not fully fit as we saw even at Wolves, you know, there were moments where it looked like it was he was drained. Um, he still had enough, though, to race clear and provide an absolutely gorgeous finish for the fourth goal. 
But again, Javi Garcia wanted to work with Rodrigo in this international break. One of his priorities is to get Rodrigo closer to the player he can be when fully fit. Um, I suppose there weren't too many others that missed out that you thought would have been in there because the, the England thing is just not really an option for Patrick Bamford right now. And it's certainly not an option for Jack Harrison right now. They're just players in their positions that are ahead of them who have performed a lot more consistently, have added a lot more in terms of end product um, and possibly have higher ceilings in terms of their age and their potential. So I don't think they would, would have been particularly in consideration for this break. And I think it just comes at quite a good time, you know, particularly after a win, when the mood is quite high, that that they can work in that environment at Thorpe Arch and also heal up because, as Gracia said, there's quite a few that have been carrying little knocks and pains. Um, and so it, it's a bit of a dual purpose, this break, that to rest people, to get them back closer, much closer to full fitness and also to begin working with them on on what it's going to look like when they come back. Are, are you going to be resting during the international break, Graham, as well? I never, I never rest, Joe. Uh, not when there's journalism to be had. Okay, that was not the answer I was expecting or hoping for, um, because that <laughs> kind of does bring us to a rather abrupt end. Um, <laughs> no, there'll be plenty of uh, plenty of international break coverage on on the Yorkshire Evening Post website um, over the course of the next ten days or so, and then build up to. Arsenal on the 1st of April, which will feel, I'm hoping that the weather will be nice down there in London, um, because no doubt we're going to have to park miles and miles and miles away and walk all the way to the Emirates. Um, but um, yeah, Graham, any, as always, any last whimsical comments for, for this week's listeners? Um, no, no, I don't think there are this week. Well, I'd just like to re- remind you of uh, the question that you asked when Rasmus Christensen came on the pitch. As he nicked the ball off Johnny on the far side, you asked me, went, where is Rasmus even playing? And as he hit the ball under Jose Sarr, I turned to you and I just said, striker. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for tuning in to the Inside Ellen Road podcast this week. I've been Joe Donoghue with YEP Chief Football Writer Graham Smith. Uh, we'll have more for you in the coming weeks, but uh, stay safe, take care, and bye for now. The Inside Allen Road podcast is sponsored by PR Supplies at Unit 2 Wither Park Industrial Estate in Leeds. PR Supplies, everything for the home.